Hello and welcome to the Top Order Podcast, the World Cup final, the big dance, India, Australia, Ahmedabad, 130,000 people, the sea of blue. It was meant to be a crown and glory for this great unbeaten side. Instead, it was delight for two players who wondered if they'd even be at this World Cup two months ago. Australia's sixth men's ODI World Cup final. We'll have all that and, com- and more coming up right after this. Beautiful intro, Stu. Beautiful. Well played. Thank you, thank you. Baldy, look, Raj, it meant Australia's sixth men's ODI World Cup final. As I just said, the first team to win away from home since Australia did it in 2007 against the West Indies. This side feels much more flawed than those dominant sides of the 2000s. But look, now in two-year span, they've won the T20 World Cup, they've won the World Test Championship, and now they've added the ODI World Cup to their trophy cabinet. Baldy, look, I've done enough talking. I I think uh, it must just be a proud day for Australia and Australians everywhere. Morning, Stuart. It is a proud day for underdogs, punters, uh, (laughs) working class heroes, blue collar, men and women all over Australia are standing up bleary eyed this morning at two or three in the morning on the East Coast, still sort of one or two in the morning on the West Coast and saluting, uh, running around the pool table, running around the pool uh, running around the living room. As Bob Hawke famously said 40 years ago uh, when Australia won the America's Cup for the world, for the first time, any boss who sacks his worker for being late today is a bum. And, you know, for a man who was three sheets to the wind at that time and wearing two suit jackets, uh, never a truer word was spoken. And I think it applies today. Any uh, Australian wor- uh, employer who sacks his worker for being late today is a bum. Look, it will be uh, sausage sizzles all around in Australia this morning, all over the country as people emerge from their slumbers and uh, to the news that Australia have upset the apple cart, really, uh, the highly fancied and almost fated Indian side who have been 10-0 and for this World Cup so far, falling at the last hurdle in an, a gripping encounter, really, a, a non-traditional uh, ODI in the subcontinent. It was a low-scoring game again, as was the semi-final between Australia and South Africa. Uh, but lots and lots to talk about, lots and lots to unpack in this podcast. Uh, back to you, fellas. Yeah, look, boys, I, I guess we we should probably start at the, the very first moment and the toss. It ha- it's uh, it was an interesting decision, I think, for for a lot of us when uh, Australia wins the toss and decides to bowl first. It's, a, it's something we've probably criticised quite a lot on this podcast. Why, why are teams doing that? What do you think factored into that, Raj? Yeah, that was a great opening monologue, actually, from Baldy. All I had was a, a sarcastic, uh, <laughs> it's good to see Australia having some some success in world cricket, finally. Um, <laughs> but yes, what a what a victory. The the, the, the toss, uh, very important. Uh, Baldy actually texted us when that, that toss happened and was a bit disappointed that Australia were bowling first. But I think it actually shows a little bit of, of growth, uh, you know, to a less, lesser extent, obviously, the 1996 loss maybe playing a, a bit on their mind where uh, the Jew was a big factor towards the end of that final. Um, they learned from it. They, they decided that they wanted to, one, not let India chase, but two, if there was going to be Jew, uh, they wanted to benefit from it. So I think it was a, it was a good call, um, a ballsy call to, to, to sort of do that, but um, it was it was successful in the end. I guess you can't take that away from them. And, and Baldy, the, the first 10 overs, look, I, I think they're going to be quite you know, we always thought they were going to be quite crucial to how this game panned out. And the first thing I wanted to highlight is how Australia came out. I know Rohit, uh, you know, set the tone for, for India, and we'll probably talk about him in a moment. But the first note I have from this game is three boundaries saved in the first seven balls. And I think Australia really, really 
a little bit did their homework in terms of where they wanted to put their boundary riders to start with. And then actually the way they came out and it's much like that semi-final and much like a couple of the games where Australia's really been on, I think the fielding really set the tone for for what Australia wanted to bring to this game. Absolutely. And we need to give Australia credit in a number of facets in that first 10 overs because if you just look at the scorecard, India were 80 after 10 and it looks like India had the the run of that game. Australia did a fantastic job in their, in their ground fielding and their outfielding in the first 10 overs, as you said, they probably saved 10 or 15 runs inside that first 10 overs easily and were able to, again, apply pressure to Shubman Gill. I think the Shubman Gill wicket was, as a result of Australia applying great outfield pressure and, you know, pretty poor shot from Shubman Gill. I think he'll, he'll agree on reflection. Uh, but Australia did a really, really good job, Stu, as well, as you said, of putting out a deep point instead of a third man early, uh, manipulating where they wanted their deep square leg to be for Rohit and for Gill. They moved guys around. They had really, really clear, good tactical plans. This whole game, Australia have had had really, really good tactics uh, throughout the game, even just trying to take pace off the ball early in that uh, in that in that power play, Australia really quickly saw that the ball wasn't going to swing much. We weren't going to get much seam, so you know quite quickly Hazelwood really went to, to rolling his fingers over both sides of the ball, trying to take pace off, getting a bit shorter. So really, really good tactics from Australia in that respect. The only thing I think we didn't really nail in that first ten overs is we didn't get out of our overs particularly well. Uh, there was a, a a really good stark over to Rohit that he bowled really really good lines and lengths to him, got away, and then in the last ball of the over, floated one up outside off stump and got drilled over cover for six. So, yeah, my notes sort of a two two phased approach for Australia in that we were really good in some aspects but just couldn't quite get out of our overs, and Rohit was able to get away to a flyer. I'm actually really happy that you mentioned the, the the tactics because I thought they were actually spot on through that first the first few overs, definitely the first sort of five overs, but it got away after that. But they bowled to plans where the balls were getting hit two fielders, and we haven't seen that so far in the when the you know India has been charging through that playoffs. Sorry, through the the power play, and then there was actually Australia were a bit unlucky actually. There was a ball that Hazelwood bowled that went over off stump uh, to um, Rohit Sharma early. There was the edge from Gill, his first ball that he faced. Um, it could have been, it could have actually genuinely been two for not many, uh, bringing yeah. Coley and, and Iyer into the, into the game very early. Uh, but Australia just executed well in that play, uh, in that power play. But uh, unfortunately, as you said, India still got away, uh, but uh, it wasn't to be further on. Let's move on. Well, I think we we should talk a little bit about Rohit because it was another display of of how well he you know he can set the tone for an innings and and, uh, and he's played some incredible forties in this <laughs> this World Cup. I mean, actually, if you you kind of look at his run, it's incredibly consistent. He's only had two failures. He has you know I think he's got five forties and uh, you know scored a hundred. He's got a couple of eighties I think as well. You know we, he's been immense throughout this World Cup and and that. You know, once we when when we look back at this tournament and and we see Australia's name on the trophy and we see Virat Kohli and v- Muhammad Shami and uh, all these other guys at the top of charts, I think Rohit Sharma's contribution to this World Cup might at times be be missed. But you know, it really felt like he it felt like to me in this game that he was set for the big moment, the you know the big score to sort of set that World Cup, you know put the the icing on the cake I guess for for India's World Cup and then 
Travis Head takes that brilliant catch ball. They take us through how you felt when when he grabbed onto that. I, I was writing notes actually as as the catch was taken. I was writing nine overs, shut the gate. Rohit sealed this for India. Oh wait, hang on a minute. Travis Head has turned the game. He turned the final with that catch. It was a terrific, terrific catch. That's that's what you train for. If you're if you're any kind of fielding unit that is from club level to first class level to international level. Those are the kinds of moments that you train for. He tracked brilliantly to that catch. He never took his eyes off it. He gave full commitment. He knew exactly what the moment was. And and Travis Head, even if he made no runs with the bat, I think was was involved in the defining moment of this game, certainly in the first sort of 25 overs or so, because that got Australia back into the match. Another couple of overs, and Rohit gets out of the power play. Maybe he's 55-60 by that point. India are 85-90 to 90 for one. And this is a completely different ball game. Australia gave themselves a chance by taking that wicket, and then, and then more importantly, went bang bang, and, and took and took the other wicket of Shreyas Iyer with a with a nice little um, nice little deflection to Josh Inglis, the keeper. So huge moment for Australia, and they were able to capitalise on it. I can't say enough about um, we've we've mentioned it already on the pod, but I can't say enough about how good the tactics were from. Uh, from Pat Cummins and the Australians, how well prepared they were for this game. Every change that they made seemed to bring an outcome, seemed to you know squeeze a little bit more in those middle overs, which we'll get to. It seemed to make a, a make a difference. So uh, Pat Cummins' captaincy from the toss all the way through this bowling innings was was exceptional, exceptional captaincy and exceptional execution by the Australian bowlers who really, really missed in this game. Everybody has been, um, everyone contributed for Australia. Raj, I know you wanted to comment about Pat Cummins uh, I, I, and what he did. We may, we're on him now. We may as well stick to him. What were your thoughts on on the way he captained it and the way he bowled? Yeah, look, his, his captaincy, I think we've covered extensively. Definitely in, in this game, I think that he, he made some really good decisions with his bowling changes uh, and obviously that the toss at the start, of the start of the game, which we've spoken about there. But what I've really been waiting for, and, and you know, Baldy and I have spoken about this on a couple of podcasts, I've been waiting for Cummins to actually take control of the game with mm. the ball. I felt like he really did uh, when he came on first change here. He, he stopped the runs. That wicket of Shreyas Iyer, uh, early on, and then obviously the wicket of, of Virat Kohli, which um, seemed to come out of nowhere. But at the end of the day, he he really ripped the heart out of that engine room uh, with with Shreyas Iyer and Kohli being in some real form over the last few matches. Um, I think his bowling was incredibly important today, and I've been waiting for him to step up. And I think he really did with the ball today. That that's what I was most excited to see from Pat Cummins. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Two for thirty five off ten, but you, but his captaincy was exceptional. I mean, you have a look at overs. I think it was eleven to seventeen. Australia used six different bowlers in seven overs, took the pace off the ball. We saw a little bit of Maxwell. We saw a little bit of Zampa. I, I thought Australia would go to Zampa a little bit earlier against Coley to try and see if we could prize him out uh, with Adam Zampa. But, you know, he, he turned to Mitchell Marsh to just bowl stump to stump. It was that kind of old reserve grade style. We're just going to bowl wicket to wicket here, nibble the ball about a bit. We're going to wait for you guys to make a mistake. I actually thought that Australia, if they waited for India to make a mistake, would get heavily punished. But because they were able to take a couple of early wickets and India were forced out of their comfort zone into a rebuilding mode because they didn't want to expose Jadu and, and Sky to you know having to bat 30 overs. They wanted them to bat 12 to 15. Australia were able to kind of dictate terms and um, bowl what my old representative coach would call the screwdrivers 
and really, really see if they could scrooge their way through uh, that middle period, which Australia did fantastically, right? India hit, what, 80 off the first 10. Uh, I think there were probably 19 or 20 boundaries in that 80, but then weren't able to get a, a single boundary in, in overs 11 to 40 and only four boundaries, I think I'm right in saying, for the rest of the innings. So Australia's control, their ground fielding, their tactics, their placement, uh, everything was just outstanding. It was first class. It was almost perfect cricket from the Australians. Yeah, and I, I think what um, what I really liked about the way that Pat Cummins was you know, reorganising his bowlers and, and swaf- shuffling them around is that he actually still, at, at almost all of those points, it, he kept a, a strike bowler on. He kept someone on that would challenge and still be trying to take a wicket. I think it, it probably could have been really tempting as Kohli and Rahul, it was quite clear at, you know, after a few overs that they weren't going to take a risk in those, you know, until they got until they got uh, developed into their partnership, they were they were quite happy to to knock it around, and it would have been tempting for Cummins to go, okay, let's bowl our fifth bowler now, let's get Head, let's get Maxwell, let's get Marsh, let's just bowl ten overs of them, get them out of the way, and get them through. But no, he decided to keep Hazelwood on, to keep himself on, to keep to bring Stark back on, and obviously bring himself back on. You know, picked up the Coley wicket and uh, you know proved you know, incredibly crucial in that game. Raj, I, I am interested to get your thoughts probably on on that Kohli and Rahul partnership. As Baldy mentioned, they scored 80 runs in there in that first tw- uh, 10 overs. The next 20 overs, they had they scored 72. For, you know, so it was very much a rebuild. And, and look, I, I'm sort of on the fence about, you know, how they went about that. They had the luxury, I guess, of, of having 80 on the board. And you get to you know thirty overs and one hundred and fifty on the board, and suddenly you think, okay, well we've actually got a decent platform to build here. But did they go too slow through the middle there? So I think the biggest debate that'll come out of this World Cup final is, uh, did India go into this game and all the other games pretty much a batsman short? Uh, the this partnership that um, Rahul and Virat Kohli embarked on was symptomatic of that. They needed to not make sure they didn't lose a wicket. They needed to bat a bit deeper into the innings, keep the score ticking over. Uh, they found it hard to do that, and then losing Virat Kohli uh, when he was on about fifty did not was not part of the plan. Uh, they then had to deviate and bring in Jadeja ahead of Sky, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, I just felt like it deprived Sky of seven overs of batting. Uh, you know, if you if, if you're going if Sky is going to be needed. I'd prefer he gets to face the uh, most amount of balls possible. But uh, look, that partnership, it put a handbrake on, on India. It really slowed them down. They got under six and over, I'm, I'm pretty sure, at, at, um, at stages of that partnership, uh, you know, for the innings. And it was because India were India were worried that they wouldn't have the, the batting to sort of launch at the end. And that's ultimately what happened. So... Yes, the partnership was a handbrake, but it was necessary for India to um, to do that, to make sure they got to a score they wanted. And it's worked for them over this tournament, you know, when they've played, with, you know, batting Shami sort of uh, when Shami was into the side, when Hardik Pandya was, was pulled out. Um, it's worked for them, but on this occasion, it, it did not. Yeah, I think the Kohli dismissal was a huge moment in the game because he got to 54 off 63 without ta- without hitting too many boundaries. He, he laced th- sort of three or four boundaries early in his innings, but then went to in, into sort of, you know, 1990s one-day middle overs mode and just he hit, 50, you know, 48 singles in his 54. It wasn't quite that many, but it was it was 40 singles. Um, 
but he looked in complete control. He looked like he wasn't it wasn't didn't need to take a risk. He was able to take four or five and over. And I think in his mind, he and KL Rahul had said, right, okay, we need 260, 270 on this wicket. But if we can be 150 at 30 overs, we can get another 150 or 130 easily in the last 20 overs if we've still got Sky and, and Jadu in the shed and we can go big. Coley's dismissal was a huge, huge turning point in this game for Australia. It came out of nowhere. It came from a delivery that was reasonably innocuous. Australia went into the wicket against Coley quite a bit. It was a good delivery, but Coley just trying to run it down to third man, got a little inside edge back onto the stumps, and 130,001 people were were absolutely in disbelief. I think Coley stood there for long enough that uh, we're at a different opposition. You might have seen a timed out there because he sort it felt like he stood there for four or five minutes after he was dismissed in complete disbelief, as we all were, as I was watching it. I just couldn't believe that after such a controlled innings that for 63 balls, he just did not look like getting out, did not look like making a mistake. One just innocuous moment, and all of a sudden the game turns completely. And I, I feel for Virat Kohli because up until that point, I think he was poised and Rahul was poised that India were going to explode in those last 20 overs. And as it was, as as a result of that dismissal, they only got another 90 in the game over those last sort of 20 overs or so. And Australia were able to continue applying the Scrooge overs and, and India couldn't get them away. Yeah, and look, I think Raj's point about the the balance of the Indian side it it hasn't it's a really good one because we haven't seen that come you know we haven't seen that make an impact in this tournament that that hasn't been a problem for India and and look I really yeah I sort of really really strongly agree that that they had to do that it was it was because they just couldn't they couldn't afford with that tail to to take risks and I think it really really cost them and and yeah like I said I don't think it's Kohli or uh, Rahul to blame. I think they did exactly what what was needed. And as you said, Baldy, I think they were poised to to go. And that wicket, it, it you know, it really did make a, a huge difference. And and in the end, they sputter to to two forty, and and suddenly it's a it's a below par score. Well, I think the other thing that interesting that happened around that time, we haven't seen it much in this World Cup so far, is there there was a hint of of movement at that time in the innings. You know, that thirty two to thirty five over mark. The commentators were talking it up deluxe that that Josh Hazelwood in particular was getting a, a large amount of reverse swing. I don't think it was quite as grandiose as the commentary w- was suggesting, but there was certainly just a hint of movement either off the wicket or back through the air, which made life difficult for those batters to then take what momentum they'd built by hitting singles for, for 20 overs or so, and then looking to be able to step up a gear and start to hit boundaries. So Australia got the best of the conditions in that they were able to find uh, some movement at just the right time of the innings that they weren't able to extract so far in the tournament. So Australia's bowling in that sense and their captaincy as well, we mentioned it before, uh, was just was excellent to, to find the right conditions that, that were able to get the most out of, of the air and the, and the surface. That's a good segue to the movement that, uh, that India did extract when they came on to bowl. Australia first, you know, first ball. David Warner edges one through slip. The two uh, between first and, and second slip. The two fielders stand there and watch. Maybe you know, maybe sort of a symptomatic of of uh, you know, or, or a huge comparison, I guess, to what Australia did in their fielding effort. You know, just spot on from ball one. India not quite there. You know, hoping that something would happen. Next couple of balls, Travis Head hits a couple of boundaries. 
15 for none off the first over and suddenly you're thinking, okay, Australia is going to just canter this this game. But Shami gets a wicket or a wide first ball, gets a wicket, his first legitimate delivery. Boomerah comes back, gets a couple of wickets, 47 for three and suddenly, okay, the wobbles are, the wobbles are going into Travis Head, into Manus Labuschagne. It was a real mixed bag, wasn't it? That first sort of six overs or so, seven overs, where you know it was swinging, it was doing a bit. But Australia were actually able to score really freely, score really quickly, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they were forty-seven for three. Uh, I, I found that that was quite interesting. The, the balance of bat and ball there. I'm actually going to come to Baldy uh, before you talk about um, Manus and um, Travis Head's partnership at forty-seven for three. Uh, you know, two batsmen out there against a hundred and 30,000 people in the stands and on the field. Uh, what are you feeling? I was very nervous at 47 for three, I must admit. I, I thought that uh, Australia have a collapse in them, and were we going to see a, a collapse in in this in this game? We hadn't really seen spin yet, so we didn't really know what India's spin was going to do to Australia. So we had 20 overs of spin to have to negotiate and navigate our way through. It was very, very murky there for Australia for quite a while. Um, particularly after we'd lost Smith, that was close LBW shout, uh, given Australia scuffed a couple to the keeper. And it, it really looked like India, I, I thought India were on top at that point. Um, there was a, still a long, long way to climb. We, we could see from Australia's bowling innings the recipe for success to restrict sides uh, and to dry up the boundaries and make the opposition take a risk if they wanted to, if they wanted to, you know, hit out over the top of the infield. I, I just thought the partnership that Head and Manus established was just a perfect one. And it comes from having guys who are three format veterans. Okay, Manus doesn't play a lot of T20 cricket, but Australia needed to play more like Test cricket and less like T20 cricket in that moment. And they had the perfect two guys at the crease to be able to do that. Absolute vindication from the selectors and the management of the Australian team to include Manus in the side ahead of Marcus Stoinis for just this occasion for 47.50 for three, needing to just steady the ship and, and guide it through those middle overs, even though Manus's strike rate was somewhere in the order of 55 to 60 for most of his innings. He didn't need to score at 100 uh, because Travis Head was was keeping the score ticking along, along at the other end. So uh, really, really, really pleasing partnership from those two to get Australia out of what was a very nervous situation, at least for me. Yeah, it was, I think the most surprising thing, and you, you sort of hit it on the on the head there, Baldy, was the spinners were just so ineffective, uh, un, un, unable to, to take wickets or, or reduce the rate of scoring. Uh, which you know, on occasion they've done both at the same time. Really, uh, they've, they've been been very good throughout this this World Cup, and they they struggled to to make an impact. Whether that's due, I'm not sure, uh, but it really helped that that partnership blossom. There was not uh, they were able to tick the, keep the score ticking over, which is what India struggled with that uh, Rahul and and Kohli partnership, which we talked about earlier. Uh, what did you make of the the spin bowling, Sue? Oh, look, I I completely agree, and I mean, I think this the score that they you know the total on the board has a has a big part to play in that. Uh, you know, two forty, the 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 fact that Travis Head got them off to a, a decent start, and like you said, they were forty seven for three, but they were scoring quickly in the same way that India was, and it meant that Australia could look at India's innings and go, okay, well, we can actually rebuild, and probably for uh, you know the real benefit for Australia is that. Baldy touched on it before that the Travis Head and Manus Labuschagne combination worked really well together because while Manus could just knock it around, 
Travis Head is is his natural game is to hit some hit boundaries. So you know every now and again he would hit a boundary and suddenly that would sort of you know break the shackles and, and keep them on track. And it meant that there really was just no no that the Indian bowlers. Jadeja, you know, Jadeja thrives from bowling dot balls and building, 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 building pressure. And then him and Kuldeep work so well together because Jadeja's at one end building pressure and the other opposition go, okay, well, we've got to attack someone. We can't attack Jadeja. Let's attack Kuldeep. But they didn't, they never had to. Australia never had to do that in this game. And yeah, they just kept going and knocking it around. There was a couple of balls that did spin big. I know Jadeja, you know, spun one big and got the edge and it went down for, for four. But yeah, I think just that score that, you know, it's it's really tough for spinners to kind of make something happen if the pitch isn't doing anything. You know, there was there was big talk before the game. There was the chat that was going around was, oh, it's gonna be a big turner, Ashwin's gonna play and all this stuff. Never eventuated. And yeah, look, you know, it's very, very hard for spinners to create something out of nothing uh, on a wicket that's that's playing okay when the score's only two forty. Yeah, it it, it really was uh- India up against it. Ironically, India up against it from a spin component because Australia weren't forced to take undue risk. They weren't forced to be reckless or or hyper-aggressive in terms of the way that they went after those spinners. But they were also given enough freedom to be able to get the runs required without having to take a risk. They they weren't forced to sit back and defend. I mean, Jadej is the best bowler in the world as far as I'm concerned when players are forced to just defend him if they're not looking to, to rotate the strike around. So Australia did a really, really good job of making sure that they got four and a half, five runs and over from those guys without taking too many undue risks. I thought it was just brilliant batting from Australia. And unfortunately for India, Jadeja and Yadav weren't able to exert their usual dominance over the game. You know, you have a look at their contributions, none for 99 off 20 overs. Australia would take that. Any international side would take that against those two Indian uh, premier spinners at this point. Um, I know it's not in the script, boys. Can I just talk about Mohamed Siraj in this game, in this bowling innings? Um, I just wanted to talk about him. I really felt for him during the game and after. I mean, he was he was very emotional after the game. But I thought, I, I really felt for him because India took him away from what he was able to do best. They didn't open the bowling with him. They didn't really bowl him much in the power play at all. They didn't give him an opportunity to exploit any movement early on in the conditions. They went with Mohammed Shami. They went with the hot hand. You know, we've got a match winner. Why not use him? But taking him out of his usual sort of opening the bowling, bowling in the power play kind of model, he wasn't really able to get into the game very much. I know he got sort of one for 45, but he wasn't able to get his emotional state up enough to be able to be impactful on the game. And I think you know, when the ball was straight up and down, Australia were able to handle him reasonably well, I think. Um, I think he would have been a much different prospect in the power play. So I really felt for him in the course of this game. He was taken kind of out of his role a little bit and he wasn't given the opportunity to uh, have that kind of impact that we know he can have. Stu, I just want to ask you a question about that because that, that was on my, my run sheet here. India have deviated from their plans, which have worked throughout this whole World Cup. Uh do you think that that is a bit, a bit of panic? Well, what, what's going on? Why hasn't Suraj opened the bowling where the ball's swinging, where he is the most dangerous, uh, and has he has done the as he has done the whole World Cup? Yeah, I don't know. Very curious, very curious decision. I mean, you know, I think Baldy mentioning before the the hot hand with Shami. I think that that had to play into the situation. They've gone two forty. It's under par. We've got to, you know, Shami's been so good. We've got to get him in early. We can't afford to to wait and can't afford to, you know, we we need to take early wickets to win this game, basically. 
but yeah, I think I I mean in hindsight, look, you're not gonna you wouldn't play Siraj if you're gonna bowl him the way that they used him, you wouldn't and you're gonna bowl second, you wouldn't play him. You'd play Ashwin or you'd you know, you'd try and do something else. So yeah, it, it's a curious one and, and you know, they might look back and think, you know, what have what have we done there? And it, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to it's hard to really put your finger on why they did that apart from Muhammad Shami, we have to get wickets. But I would have thought then, you know, once you get those wickets, then you bring on Siraj and, and you have that three-pong pace attack that's worked so well together throughout this tournament and, and been able to rip sides apart by the way that they've been able to bowl in uh, in tandem. And, and it's not like Muhammad Shami hasn't bowled in the power play, though. He's been bowled inside the first 10 overs. It's just that they've got Siraj into the game, given him two or three overs. Let's see if the ball swings. Let's, you know, work our bowlers around. So I think with bat and ball, India went away from their game plan a little bit. Okay, sure, Australia forced them away from their game plan a little bit, at least when Australia were bowling in terms of being able to keep it tight and forcing India to to play a different game plan because we got those two or three early wickets. Uh, but I think India, when they were bowling, also went away from their game plans a bit, particularly with Siraj, and that played into Australia's hands, unfortunately. Um, and it just so happens that Australia were good enough, given the opportunity to exploit that and, and make the best of that opportunity. Before we touch on a couple of those Indian players, just sort of their, their tournaments as a whole, anything more on, on Travis Head or, or Labashane? You know, pretty amazing that, that, you know, two months ago, these two might not have even been at this World Cup, and, and there they are with the... The match-defining moment in the in the biggest game of all. Yeah, well, I'll just I'll just I copied and pasted my line from from one of the, the semi-final previews where Travis Head is an integral part of the Australian cricket team, and he has become since the first season of the Test. Um, <laughs> he, he, it's incredible how much how much impact he has in terms of on, on almost every game. He dictates terms on a game by game basis. I feel, um, and his hundred and thirty-seven of. of 120 balls you cannot sort of express how much of an impact that has had on this game even the crick info um impact assessment whatever they call it gave him the man of the match as well not not um not someone else that usually does but um yeah i think he's he's he is someone building for the future i think baldy you've you've mentioned that he's probably going to be a future captain of the australian cricket team um but yeah he's really he's really for someone who wasn't in, in the team at the start of the game or uh, start of the tournament, he's really joined this team and you've seen by their results that they've just gone up and up and up all the way to, to holding the trophy up. Huge difference that he's made to the Australian team since he's come in. Mitch Marsh was excellent opening the batting, but he just adds that extra dimension to the Australian team with his bowling as well and his, and his fielding. You know, In all three facets of the game, in the semi-final and the final, Travis Head has made an absolute difference to the fortunes of of both sides in in the, in those games. You know, with the ball, he took two crucial wickets to Smith Classen in the semi. Took a magnificent catch to take the you know the crucial moment in the final. And I jokingly put down in my notes, Travis Head could have made eight or nine runs in in the batting innings and still would have been a contender for the man of the match. Such was the importance of that Rohit dismissal. But as it was, he joins some pretty illustrious company. He joins Aravinda De Silva. He joins, I think, Viv Richards. Uh, he joins Ponting and he joins Gilchrist as Australians who've made hundreds in a World Cup final. Uh, so some pretty illustrious company there. He is at the top of his game at the moment. And Australia um, have followed his fortunes throughout the World Cup. They've they've been outstanding. But uh, Travis Head has been a huge, huge part of that. As far as Marnus is concerned, I, I, again, 
I just jokingly said, I think before the tournament, as long as you keep telling Manus that he might not play and he might come in for a concussion substitution, that he'll have a good tournament. And actually, the, the reality is that he's been the guy that would have been dropped in, in several games had it not been for some minor niggling injuries, you know, the falling off of a golf cart, uh, some uh, some heavy uh, cramp after that magnificent 200 kept Manus in the game. And his fielding, you know, for kids out there watching cricket, learning how to play cricket, um, anyone can be a good fielder. It, do- it doesn't take a tremendous amount of, of skill as long as you're able to anticipate and work really hard at your game. Um, and that's what really kept him in the side ahead of Marcus Stoinis, really, uh, all other things being equal. And he was able to, to make the most of his opportunities. And, you know, for a guy who has almost made a career out of coming in as a replacement for an injured player, uh, he's certainly been uh, outstanding for Australia. So uh, a terrific contribution from him. Lots were said early in the tournament about his strike rate, but he didn't need to strike at 95 or 100 in this particular innings. He needed to get Australia out of a bit of poo and get them home with a tremendous partnership. And as in the semi-final, Australia put together a dominant partnership through the middle overs. What was a weakness for Australia has certainly become a strength in both the semi-final and the final. And, and look, before we before we do end, I, I do want to just say, like, I, I feel the pain for, for India. I mean, you mentioned it before about Siraj Baldi. I mean, look, uh, you know, I feel I feel deeply for, for some of these players who've had absolutely incredible tournaments. I mean, Virat Kohli's one player of the, the tournament and he's, you know, scored an enormous amount of runs at, at 95. Shami's the top wicket taker, you know, 24 wickets at, at, at under 11. You know Rohit Sharma, the the consistent tournament that he's had, and, and the match winning performances, and and look, that you know these the Indian fans. Look, I, we've lost subscribers from this, you know, from this to our to our channel because people are obviously feeling it. And I, you know, look, New Zealand know a thing or two about losing finals in, in recent times, and you know, 2015, 2019, 2021, and and I struggle to look back at some of those tournaments and and the brilliant cricket that New Zealand played. And I guess I just hope that India can. Indian fans and, and Indian the Indian players can look back at this tournament in a, you know in a few weeks when when this hurt starts to die down and, and think we played some absolutely amazing cricket in this tournament and we we should feel really proud of of our team and what they've done and and you know the the effort that they've put in and and, and the dominance that they they put in throughout this tournament because they have been brilliant and and it is sad in many ways that they they are not the ones lifting that trophy obviously Australia pretty happy though if I take my Australian parochial hat on and hat off sorry and I take the eye patch off that I've been watching most of this World Cup with and I and I look at it from an impartial view India have been by far the best team in this tournament and they just lost one game of cricket on the on unfortunately the day that it counted I think um was it Billy Bean the the Oakland Athletics manager said we're all just trying to win the last game of the season and unfortunately, India weren't just weren't able to to do that. And it's through no fault of their own, I don't think. I think they came up against Australia, who put in a complete performance. And India maybe just one or two percent short of their of their best. And that's sometimes all it takes in international cricket, um, in sport and in life. But I think India can look back at this tournament and be immensely proud of the the brand of cricket that they've played, the entertainment that they've played with the um, the the results that they've gotten, they were so dominant this side uh, throughout the course of the tournament. And yes, they've fallen short at the final hurdle. And I'm sure there'll be many, many uh, bitterly disappointed, heartbroken, upset Indian fans. And and we really should make a point of reaching out to, to those fans and saying, you know, this is 
it's it sucks for for them. It it really does. And we've all been on uh, the end of losing finals uh, as players and as as fans as well. And and my heart goes out to the the players and and the fans because India have played uh, such good cricket over the course of this tournament. It, it seems unfair for them to go out uh, not as winners, but unfortunately on the day that's that's the case, and India have just fought, fallen at the final hurdle just a fraction. Yeah, it, it probably doesn't help fans when when you sort of go India were far and away the best uh, best team at this World Cup uh, unfortunately falling at the, the the final hurdle but everybody in that team you know 1 to 11 contributed the only one you can probably sort of look at is is Sky and that's not a performance issue it's just an opportunities issue you almost didn't get an opportunity throughout almost the whole um whole World Cup but we said at the stages uh sorry the early stages of the World Cup that in order to beat India you need to do it on both sides of the ball well in this game Australia outbowled outbatted and even outfielded India um oh, I, I really feel for the Indian fans but um you also have to admire the way that Australia has definitely approached these two knockout games going and they've been very, very um, excited in the field, uh, shall we say, and excited when taking wickets. And um, that mindset has ultimately led to them them performing uh, when others didn't. And uh, it was it was great to see. Final word from me, Baldy, is is simply just to congratulate Daniel Vittori on uh, a, a New Zealand legend to, who uh, who has now won a World Cup. Very, very you know, very, very delighted for him. But I think really the final word should go to you and, um, you know, you can lead us out of this podcast because it's your day. It's Australia's day. As, as Raj said, you know, India have, have uh, you had to be really good to beat this India side and, and Australia was that today. Australia were outstanding. They were, they played almost the perfect game of one day international cricket. They took all the opportunities that were afforded to them. They were prepared to take risks when risks were needed. They were prepared to sit in and wait and be patient um, when the opposition was building a good partnership. They tried things. Look, the, the captaincy, the coaching, the preparation, all the things that have been criticised about Australia, mostly by me, over the course of this World Cup, Australia did uh, in exemplary fashion in the final. Their tactics were brilliant. Their captaincy was outstanding. They were well prepared. They need to take a lot of credit. And a lot of the critics of the Australian team over the years, I've been a big one of them, need to eat a little bit of humble pie at the moment because after two games, everyone was prepared to write them off, uh, but they built beautifully during the tournament. They kept the they kept the belief. They kept uh, doing the things that they thought would make them successful. And ultimately, Australia were successful. And it was a triumph of, I think, tremendous captaincy, tremendous courage to take risky decisions uh, throughout the course of the tournament and back themselves to be able to perform on the biggest stage when all of the statistics, all of the form leading up into that final uh, would suggest that otherwise perhaps the other team might have been the stronger side on the day. Certainly they were in terms of the first 10 games of the tournament. So Australia, look, they were outstanding. And, and you know, you've got to give credit to Cummins. You've got to give credit to the whole team and and the coaching staff as well. Dan Vittori, uh, chief amongst them, although I'm sure Ronald McDonald uh, deserves a, a tremendous amount of credit as well. So, look, I have to take my hats off to the Australian team because this is a victory uh, in a World Cup that we, I don't think many people expected them to win. I think uh, the the expectation was that uh, India would take the tournament home and Australia have have burgled one, really. I think, you know, you, you need to sort of send some telegrams to Baker Street and to uh, Hercule Poirot because there has, there's absolutely been some burglary at Ahmedabad this morning. Beautiful. We'll, 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 we will leave it there. And look, that 
that wraps up our daily coverage of this World Cup. You know, thanks for thanks for joining us, boys, and uh, you know, thanks to to everyone who's tuned in. You know, as we've said many many times over the last couple of weeks, in particular, we've had some wonderful support. You know, for for what we're doing over the, over the past uh, over this World Cup, and and we really really you know have taken a lot from it. So look. It, it ends our daily coverage. I think we'll be back in a, in a couple of days to kind of look at the tournament as a whole. So, you know, it's definitely stick with us and, and we'll be around, you know, back to our weekly sh- schedules of, of podcasts covering all that's going on in the in the World Cup. These two sides remarkably meet in about four or five days time for a T20 series. New Zealand's off to Bangladesh. You know, the cricket calendar does not slow down. So, yeah, we'll be back very, very soon. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are in the world and uh, yeah, we'll see you again very, very soon.